every single marketer and every single brand should be attempting to earn a disproportionate share of conversation. If you work for an organization where they say, bring us a chart that goes up and to the right, you have a challenge. Half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is, I don't know which half. I am here to inspire you, to excite you, to motivate you, to transform you, to energize you. Hello, and welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. This episode features an interview with Esther Flammer, Vice President of Demand Generation at Conga. Esther is a senior marketing executive with nearly 20 years of B2B and agency experience in SaaS, high tech, and the nonprofit sector. Her dynamic leadership has driven success at high growth B2B technology companies like Conga, Conversant, and ReturnPath. On this episode, Esther discusses the balance between the art and science of marketing, what B2B can learn from B2C, and the different motions that fuel high transaction, high volume inbound pipeline versus the targeted ABM strategies that drive complex enterprise level deals. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at qualified.com. If you are a B2B marketer who has always dreamed of knowing when a qualified prospect is on your site and being able to talk to them instantly, now you can. Learn more at qualified.com. And now, please enjoy this interview between Esther Flammer, Vice President of Demand Generation at Conga, and your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios, and today we are joined by special guest, Esther, how are you? Good. How are you? Happy to be on the show. I know. It's great to have you on the show. Excited to chat Conga uh, and all things marketing and demand gen. So what was your first job in demand gen? So it's a good question. I actually started out as just a marketing manager, just a generalist, but at a really small startup, probably employee number 50, called Return Path. Back in the day, it was very focused on email deliverability, but we were in a very high growth phase. And the way that I've kind of made my career in the past is by looking for critical business opportunities and gaps and kind of made my way into customer marketing, largely because we had never really had really well-built or foundational customer marketing programs. So started to create customer satisfaction, customer welcome, looking at kind of all of the aspects of a customer lifecycle. And as part of that, I was utilizing marketing automation to really drive a lot of that in terms of nurtures and how can we accelerate some of the customer lifecycle utilizing technology, but really was using you know our marketing automation tool. And it was really early on when marketing automation kind of first came out and really utilizing it really only as kind of an email nurture tool. Started to explore it more in terms of we're not really capitalizing on the full power of this technology and just technology in general to really drive um, and scale our full marketing. So actually started to build out a plan uh, and moved into a marketing operations role that was somewhat of a new kind of function in the, in the B2B marketing world. Started to build out, again, kind of that full roadmap of how do we actually start to capitalize on the power of marketing automation as it pertains to, you know, full buyer's journey, accelerating leads, lead management, campaign management and tracking, and then all the way on through the customer lifecycle. And that really exposed me to, again, that full full view of, of really what demand generation is all about. That actually set kind of the foundation and set things into motion for me to move into kind of my first official demand generation role, which was, again, focusing on 
how do we make sure that we've set up a demand gen engine that can scale as the business scales? And how can we utilize the technology and the tools and the analysis of our data to identify where we should be kind of pointing our cannon, what lead sources we should be focused on, how can we accelerate and optimize our conversions and our revenue and really move people kind of through the buyer's journey, move them through the funnel stages, focusing on sales and marketing alignment. So that was really kind of the first, you know, my first experience in terms of full-on demand gen. So flash forward to today, you're a VP of marketing at Conga, you're running demand gen, and you're the acting CMO for the past handful of months. For those of our listeners who don't know, can you share a little bit more about Conga? Yeah, absolutely. So I started at Conga almost exactly four years ago, um, and the company had just come off of kind of an acquisition. Conga, as we know it, um, the original kind of Conga name and the Conga product was document generation, and it had grown. That The small little company had grown because it was right time, right place. One of the first apps on Salesforce App Exchange grew organically for 10 years without really sales or marketing, not a lot of effort there but grew to like 6,000 customers kind of organically. And of course, investors are going to look at that and say, okay, great. Let's try and capitalize on that opportunity. They acquired four companies in a day, you know, with a lot of kind of, again, similar types of products to cross-sell into that amazing base. And then, you know, it became Conga kind of as we know it today. I came in probably nine months after that initial, that acquisition and really uh, what that full Conga experience looked like. Then really, you know, started to build out what does demand gen look like? How do we build out that demand gen engine in order to scale in a, in a very hyper growth type of type of mode? Moved from building out a full demand generation team, which was focused across all sources. So not just kind of inbound marketing, but also outbound in terms of how do we start to build out an enterprise, uh, an enterprise engine to fuel that area of the business incorporating field marketing with that, customer marketing, partner marketing, event marketing. So everything that would be revenue generating, putting that under one one team. And then continued kind of on our hyper growth mode, made more acquisitions as an organization, started to become less of a kind of commercial, you know, high volume, high transaction business, although we still had that element going, but really also building out a true enterprise business and really starting to be, you know, more 50-50 in a sense between commercial and enterprise. That then took us to an acquisition that was made this last year, actually last last May, where Aptis came in, one of our big competitors. Um, they're fairly well known for kind of their CPQ focus. They came in and acquired Conga, and it was an acquisition somewhat treated as a merger, combined the two companies of Aptis and Conga into the Conga that it is today. And then, you know, I went back into really, again, a demand gen role after moving into kind of global marketing, focusing on field development, field marketing, SDR, RME and APAC teams, and building out really the prospecting arm. I moved back after the acquisition into an actual full-time demand gen role for the combined companies. Aptis really being true, complex, much larger enterprise Conga being, you know, still a good amount of that being kind of commercial mid-market and then creating a demand strategy that could really fuel both pipeline engines, both bookings numbers for two companies that have come together as one. Let's get into our first segment, the trust tree. With the knowledge you've been given, 
you are now on the inside of what I like to call the circle of trust. What, I thought we were in the trust tree with, in the nest, are we not? The trust tree is where we can go to feel honest and trusted, and you can share those deepest, darkest, demand-gen secrets. So who does Conga sell to? I just took you through kind of a, you know, a pretty crazy history of, of high growth and acquisitions of the Conga that we know today. You know, it's definitely changed over the last four years fairly dramatically. We've actually repositioned our company and created a combined brand and corporate messaging and a vision in terms of how do we move forward in the future and what does our audience look like. And really, our new brand and our messaging encompasses more so bringing in Aptis, bringing Conga to combined companies. And really, we have the most comprehensive and complete end-to-end solution on the market, specifically for commercial operations. And so really the way that we're messaging our company and where we're focusing is on true commercial operations transformation. And what does that mean? That means empowering our customers, empowering companies to increase their agility, to increase effectiveness and efficiencies, and to achieve better business outcomes across any operational types of processes, functions, departments within their business, that is something that Conga, the new Conga, can help with. Um, and so that if you think about kind of, you know, the acquisition with Aptis and Conga, CPQ, CLM, DocGen, Sign, all of our core solutions, they really do actually tell kind of an end-to-end story and help from a, a complete operational transformation, whether you're in a revenue operations type of function focusing on sales acceleration, sales productivity. We can do an end-to-end transformation of that business process. We can do that on the legal ops side as well. So if you are in a a legal role focused on accelerating your contract lifecycle, again, we have the solutions that work perfectly together to actually complete uh, an end-to-end transformation for your legal operations function. So there's so many different aspects of what we can do. Some of our main personas really do reside in those kind of pillars of revenue operations, which oftentimes you will see sales operations or Salesforce admins or revenue operations, sales, marketing in that have that use case, that have that need to try and increase their revenue. On a legal operations side, again, we can target GCs and contracts admins and legal operations and people who are interested in making sure that they are eliminating manual processes when it comes to contract lifecycle and ensuring that we can create, again, just efficiencies and acceleration of of that process. And, And even business operations and everything that comes with business operations. I mean, HR has operations in terms of how do they accelerate their employee and how do they create a consistent employee experience and how do they potentially accelerate even the recruiting process and some of the employee contracts and documents that need to be generated and signed. So we actually have, we serve a myriad of personas, a myriad of, of use cases. That's the beauty of Conga. There's so much opportunity from a horizontal marketplace standpoint where we serve every single industry. We serve every single size of industry from you know small SMB to these large scale Fortune 50 companies. It's so funny kind of seeing that transformation of, you know, seeing Conga on the on the app exchange, on the Salesforce app exchange for years and years, 
talking to people who, you know, kind of buy that way. I'm sure that shifting that outbound motion, shifting that kind of go to market was pretty crazy considering kind of the changes that need to happen there. You know, from a strategy perspective, you know, how did you build a demand gen strategy to kind of meet that? Yeah, absolutely. It is somewhat of two different types of motions, right? If you're thinking about it. And we actually, I think we've done a good job in terms of shifting where the revenue comes from, in a sense, and then making it more distributed between mid-market and enterprise. But we have to make sure that we're fueling both of those engines. And high velocity, high transaction, oftentimes is somewhat different than you know more of the complex enterprise-level deals. And so we definitely have kind of two different types of go-to-market, but there's also a lot of overlap in between where you see some you know, similarities across the board. So from kind of a high transaction, high volume type of type of play, you know, for us, it's it's very much a looking at the lead sources that are generating the highest conversions, ensuring that we have as much kind of automation um, and self-service possible of, of moving people to the next course of action, or if they download on App Exchange, for example, making sure that we immediately hand them off to a rep who can go ahead and and chat with them and, and either you know close that deal or expand or provide more insight insight or support after a free trial. So it is a very you know what you would see as traditional demand gen, very kind of inbound focused in a lot of ways of looking at top of funnel, looking at the number of leads, how qualified they are, making sure that those conversions continue to increase and figuring out how do we optimize really our funnel. And that's really kind of as you think about a go-to-market strategy is very much your typical inbound funnel. Then on the enterprise side, um, you have still some of that. You ha- you do have the elements of, of inbound because you want to continue to actually drive drive people from an enterprise standpoint who are looking who are looking for let's say a CLM solution and they want to include you as part of the RFP process we want to be able to be found from an inbound standpoint and continue to drive a good amount of our pipeline from inbound but a large amount of our focus and I would say the majority of our focus is actually on influence and really working in conjunction with our SDR teams our sales teams our partner teams and our customer teams to go and do more of an outbound approach. If we know exactly who the target accounts are that we are trying to go after, they have a propensity to buy, they hit the sweet spot where they have a perfect use case for us. Um, and then we go out and go after them in, in more of an ABM type of fashion. And so it's a little bit more of a mix of both of those. That's super fascinating. What a challenge for, you know, to, to coordinate all that stuff. It seems like it's so complex and, uh, and, and you're all over it right now. It is. It's not, no shortage of, of things to do and challenges to overcome, but it's, it's a lot of fun. It keeps us on our toes, <laughs> for sure. So, you know, mentioning that the App Exchange stuff, our amazing sponsor, Qualified, who we love, did a really cool thing with App Exchange recently that you all were a part of. I know, you know, for some of our listeners, I'm sure they they sell on App Exchange uh, or they're on App Exchange. Can you just share a little bit more about like what that was like and and you know, how can how is this like, you know, next kind of phase of conversational marketing potentially, you know, something something new and exciting? Salesforce App Exchange has always been a huge driver of a lot of those high volume high transactional deals for us where people who are searching for, let's say, a doc gen solution or an e-signature solution 
can just go on on Salesforce App Exchange, download the app, install it, and and have a free trial of that solution. You know, or or speak to someone who can talk to them a little bit more about the solution. It's been one of our largest lead sources and most qualified lead sources, highest converting lead sources, all of the things. And so we we love Salesforce App Exchange. I would say we we were actually invited to be on a pilot to try out qualified on Salesforce App Exchange to try and convert to see more conversions from people who hit the App Exchange, hit our listing, and then actually want to talk to someone to see if we could get more more conversions and, and more leads and pipeline through that. It's been a game changer completely. We've always had high volumes from App Exchange and from each of our product listings. But we were able to see much higher conversions and much more qualified conversations because they were able to immediately, if they had a question about the solution, if they had a support question even, or if they were just, you know, looking around and seeing, you know, what what are the differences between your product versus your competitor's product, actually having someone on a live chat that they can speak with right then instead of dropping and converting somewhere else or you know getting distracted and moving to a different listing we were able to see much higher conversions and actually true pipeline come from that so we were huge fans that's awesome to hear and obviously you know uh <laughs> that's great to hear as as they're the sponsor of the show but also just i think it really turns a page on the new normal for uh, for marketers because I think like you just look at that sort of thing as, as as a demand gen person, someone comes to the website and instead of the conversations back and forth fifty five times, you know, with sales of like what was happening, what was this, what was that, it's like oh, sales is having the conversation with them in real time. Like it's just there's no more okay, well, you know, is it or is it not a qualified you know conversation? It's like it's happening right there. You don't need to set up a meeting or set up something else or like you said, let them get distracted. We all have you know fifty tabs open <laughs> at any given time, you know, uh, you got getting pinged on slack, getting all these other things. it's uh that's cool to hear. Yeah. And especially now that we are in a different world than we were in a year ago in the remote environment where there's a lot of fatigue, digital fatigue and, and, you know, webinar fatigue, et cetera. And the fact that we don't really have live events where you would typically see those types of conversations happening at a booth. This is a perfect kind of not replacement, right? But it's, it's actually, um, it's a great addition, I would say, to our, our full demand gen strategy and the tactics and channels that we're utilizing. That's awesome. Okay, let's go to the playbook. This is what's great about sports. This is what the greatest thing about sports is. You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. The playbook is where we open up that playbook and talk about the tactics that help you win. What are three channels or tactics that are your most uncuttable budget items? I would say the things that we're doing from an ABM standpoint are uncuttable. And largely because we do, we see so much ROI and we see a lot of the bigger deals and we just, we see a lot, a lot of true qualified pipeline come from that. And so, and when I'm talking about ABM, unfortunately, it's not like one channel or tactic. It's actually very multi-channel, but it is really a targeted effort. And so starting with kind of, you know, uh, the technology that provides propensity to buy data. And there's a lot of them out there. We use Mintigo, um, but utilizing, you know, kind of that cross analysis of 
what what are the companies that are actually looking to buy your solutions? Uh, starting with that in terms of really defining what those target accounts look like, adding in targeted advertising so that we can warm them up and truly, again, personalize to that specific business, that specific vertical, that specific segment, that specific persona, actually, you know, making sure that we have consistent messaging from our ads to our webinars, to our direct mail strategy, to our SDR cadences and the outreaches that they're doing. It's a fully integrated effort. Um, and I think it, it leads to a lot of what we were talking about just in terms of that experience um, and ensuring that we're delivering the right message to the right person at the right time, that it's personal, that it's relevant, and that it, it you know, is aligned with their where they are in their buyer's journey. The second, I would actually say, is largely around still events. Um, and when I say events, it's obviously shifted in the last year where it's less, you know, much less so on the, the live person event. We're not, we're not doing any of that. And we don't really plan on doing, you know, any mass scale, large scale uh, in-person events this year. But events are still a, a big strategic focus for us and a great channel that we've been able to capitalize on, both from uh, both from an internal kind of we are hosting a large scale uh, event and it's going to be a virtual event for our customers, a, a user conference. Um, that is a huge amount of some of our focus and, and where we put budget is on our customers and on our users. And how do we continue to surround them and get them trained and get them understanding, you know, all of the different solutions that we have. So there's a lot that we focus on there. And, and virtual is actually a great way to get in touch with more people than that you could potentially get on to come on a plane, you know, get on a plane and, and join us at a user conference. So the reach is much, much more, uh, much larger, but we have to be much more focused and purposeful and intentional about the content to keep them engaged. We've also seen a lot of success with virtual events that are at a smaller scale, like field events um, that are more intimate. So again, with a target account strategy where you're not doing the in-person events anymore, but you can do virtual field events, even in an intimate setting, focused even surrounding a Zoom call. So we did a couple of things this last year with, for example, an NFL viewing party where we would get an NFL all-star to come in um, on a Zoom call and chit chat with some of uh, key decision makers on some of our target accounts as they watch a game. But altogether, again, it's not something that we typically might do in, um, or it might be more difficult to do if we were doing a kind of an in-person or we wouldn't be able to reach as many people. But that's something that we've we found a lot of success with. So the third tactic or channel, um, you know, we do, we actually do, and, and I'm sure everyone has done this in the last year, especially, we've ramped up our digital quite a bit. Um, digital is hugely important for us to continue to spend on, especially given the environment that we're in. But again, we have to be much more strategic and purposeful about how we actually go to market, what kinds of message messages, calls to action that we're looking at, the targeting of, of where we're placing um, ads, et cetera. Those are hugely important and and aligned to our larger strategy, but digital is a huge channel that we'll continue to invest in. I love it. That's killer stuff. How do you view your website? Our website is a huge inbound driver. You know, to us, it is critical that we've optimized our website for the people who are going to potentially, you know, click on an ad or, or understand our brand or are specifically looking for, let's say, a, a solution they want to include us on an RFP. 
it is where we place a lot of our focus of how do we optimize? How do we, how do we ensure that it is conveying the message that we want to convey both from a corporate messaging standpoint, but also making it relevant so that if you are in a specific vertical or if you are a specific persona, that you are seeing the type of information that is relevant, that makes sense for your specific use case or your specific pain points and needs. So there's a lot that we are investing in from a website standpoint. We actually just launched our brand new unified conga.com website. So go check it out. <laughs> we did that actually two days ago. So we've not been busy at all. <laughs> I know. Well, I've been on. I've been on the website a bunch, uh, you know, in prep for the in prep for the episode. And I was going to compliment you on the on the website. I didn't. Uh, I didn't know that this was. I had the fresh tracks on this thing. This is great. Yep, brand new, brand new. So it incorporates our new messaging again around commercial operations transformation. There's a lot that we're going to continue to to add to it. So it's going to evolve, especially. But we've added in a lot of layers based off of where where people are. Again, really trying to meet people where they are in terms of who we're speaking to, who our target audiences are, um, and allow for them to be able to kind of find their way on the website based on where they are in their transformation journey. For example, so we're moving forward with kind of a maturity model type of concept. Uh, We talked a lot about kind of operational transformation at the beginning of the call or the beginning of the show. And, you know, there's a lot of different areas in in an area of, you know, whether it's in your function or your department or in your specific business, where are you in your in your maturity of true operational transformation. And so are you just getting started or are you really well in your way? You're fairly sophisticated um, and you're adding in additional layers to bring true integration across all of your different departments and all of the different people that touch an operational process, which is a lot if you think about it in a business. And so we're allowing for people who come to our website to really get an understanding of where are they in their journey and not just that, but, you know, based off of their specific persona and their specific pain points or their specific vertical and how they might use documents or contracts within, you know, the healthcare industry versus FinServe is very different. So we want to make sure that the journey on the website matches where they are in their, in their specific role and function. I love that so much stuff to um, to optimize and to look forward there. I, I just I think that there's just so much opportunity for people to be able to personalize and, and do exactly what you're saying. Um, I really think that's one of the things in the future that um, everybody going to a you know going to a website, going back to a website is just going to be such a different experience person by person going forward, and that's just really exciting for marketers and salespeople. <laughs> Absolutely. There's so much data out there that allows us to be able to understand kind of uh, a lot about you in terms of who who you are and what drives you or what you're looking for. I think there's a lot that B2B can learn from a lot of the B2C, you know, tech and, and data analysis and neuromarketing and things like that that's happening. B2B tech is, I feel like, just starting to do that in a sense. But there's a lot that we can do more so not to be creepy big brother, but more so to actually provide really, really relevant content to the people who are looking to purchase. Well, yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, for savvy companies, you know who it is, right? Like, like we know, you know, if you're, if you're trying to, you know, target someone at, I don't know, Boeing, it's like, 
you know who all the titles are. You know, you know all the people from an ABM perspective, like we know who they are. And so, you know, things like that, it's like if they come to the website, you want to be able to to put your best best foot forward. Right. But even on if you're putting yourself in your customer's shoes, right? If I am looking for a solution and I have a very specific pain point in my mind, I want to be able to easily find that. And we want to make it as easy as possible for you to find that. And so it is, it is all about the user experience. Okay, let's get to our next segment, the dust up. Uh-oh, here comes trouble. You may have heard that there was a dust up involving yours truly. And now we've got a wild scrum with fights breaking out all over the place. And it is getting really ugly as we've got punches and kicks. This is where we talk about healthy tension whether that's with your board, your sales team, a competitor, or just anyone else. Have you had a famous dust-up in your career? Oh, plenty. <laughs> but I need to choose one. Look, I mean, I feel like when you're in demand generation, there's there's kind of always a target on your back. Just because you are accountable for the pipeline that the business needs to close in order to hit the bookings goals. And so demand generation in most cases is front and center. What are you doing? What is your strategy? How are you producing more pipeline? Sales is saying we never have enough pipeline. It's always marketing's fault. You know, it's there's there's always going to be room for those dust ups. One of the more recent ones <laughs> is and you know, sales and marketing alignment is so hugely critical. But it was actually more so around our, our pipeline targets and the creation and the modeling that we use to create those pipeline targets. So we use a lot of data and science to figure out how much pipeline do we need. And for me, our goal of the demand gen team is predictable pipeline. Everything is, is very much kind of that art and science of, of, of marketing. And, and for me, a lot of it does sit on the science side where we have a bookings number very easy to actually identify based on coverage, based on source, based on new type, um, and based on kind of all of these factors, conversion rates, win rates, et cetera, how much pipeline do you actually need from a coverage standpoint? Then you look at the creation because you need to actually create those offsets of, depending on your average sales cycle, how much pipeline do you need to create now to hit your Q3 goal or Q2 goal uh, to get the coverage right for next quarter and beyond. And so we do a lot of, we put a lot of effort into trying to figure out how much pipeline do we need to create in this quarter in order to hit our goals, you know, both this quarter as well as next quarter and beyond. So there's there's a lot there, right, in terms of all of the different sources that you're looking at of how you actually create that pipeline, how we actually hit our goals. And for us at Conga, we have five different sources of pipeline. So you have your marketing, which is essentially your inbound channel, the leads that are coming in that hit the BDRs and that create pipeline. We have our SDR team, which is our outbound prospecting SDR team that, that goes out and hunts and works with field marketing and with our target account plays to try and go and find and kind of cold call and you know do all of that outreach to get more pipeline. We have AE-created pipeline, we have partner-generated pipeline, and then we have customer success-driven pipeline. So across the mix of all of those sources, across new versus existing business, across each segment of enterprise versus commercial, and then by geo. So we look at 
a multifaceted approach to give us this science and algorithm of where we need to create pipeline. And this dust up in particular was largely around that mix because, you know, sales came back and said, oh, marketing needs to be sourcing so much more. We had a target of 60% marketing sourced, you know, in the past. And so that's what it needs to be. And again, the discussions and the alignment and the conversations that I had was for a B2B enterprise company, 60% is actually, it's unheard of. If you're looking at B2B best practices, especially for the enterprise business, it typically tends to be lower uh, to 20%, 25% maybe, but largely because it, it doesn't mean that you know we shouldn't resource marketing as much because we're not sourcing as much. It actually means that we're putting more of our effort and our resources into this influence, which is how we get the big deals, right? We don't, we're not going to see a large majority of our pipeline coming from inbound enterprise, you know, giant size companies coming to us and saying, hey, you know, contact us for them or clicking on an ad and then converting as a lead. No, we're, we need to go and identify who those target accounts are and then go out and prospect. And that's going to be an SDR or an AE or a part, you know, utilizing a partner to bring that, that pipeline in. And so it actually turned it into, it was actually a very stressful, <laughs> you know, debate. I don't want to say fight, but um, a debate, healthy, somewhat healthy debate about it. Um, And it actually ended up being a little bit negative just because, you know, you had to compromise. So we went up and sales went down, et cetera. But we still didn't get to what what it matched historics as well as best practices. And so marketing completely missed our target, even though I said, just so you know, hand raised, you know, we're going to miss our target because there's no way we're going to hit this because we're going to do what's best for the business by investing in these other channels. So, um, you know, sometimes you got to give and take a little bit um, and sometimes it's lessons learned across the board. Um, you know, I was hoping that we could get to more of a realistic type of, uh, you know, attribution model, et cetera, prior to setting the targets and then setting ourselves up for failure in a sense. But all good. We all survived, you know, and, and lessons learned moving into the the next kind of half and set actually much more realistic and appropriate targets. Final question before we get into our quick hits here. Do you have a favorite campaign that you've run over the past couple of years? I have a lot of really favorite campaigns. I would say the two that come to mind, one is is a favorite campaign because it was so successful and we saw like a thousand percent pipeline ROI from it which is obviously fantastic. And that was, you know, one of our first target account plays or ABM plays that we implemented. And again, it was utilizing propensity to buy data along with that multi-channel approach that I was talking about that included advertising, you know, video, email, social, direct mail and virtual, uh, or sorry, field events. Um, And it was really a multi-org approach as well sales, working with marketing, working with SDRs, working with partners. That to me is is some of the most successful campaigns that I've seen. And we were able to have some fun with it in terms of theming it and, and doing a direct mail. That was, that was super fun. One of the more creative favorite campaigns that we've done, we actually did this um, this last November, largely because Dreamforce wasn't happening as we knew it. And as you all know, Dreamforce has always been a huge, huge kind of event for us. It's our largest event of the year. We go all out. 
we typically have this crazy silent disco that is has been rated the number one party at Dreamforce. We have our headquarters at Thirsty Bear, where it's just free food, free drinks. I've been to Thirsty Bear many times. I know. It's so fun, right? I know. It's so good. We love it. We've done private helicopter rides. We've done, you know, a giant booth in Moscone. So we we usually have so much fun at Dreamforce. And that is one of our biggest pipeline builders of the year. And so obviously, like with almost everyone else in this Hillsforce ecosystem, we were really disappointed about obviously not being able to do an in-person event with Dreamforce this last year. And so we started very quickly thinking about how do we pivot and how do we change our strategy knowing that that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen in the way that we expect it to. So we actually pivoted to doing a virtual 5K. And kind of the concept behind that was, you know, everyone is missing out on the, you know, hundreds of thousands of steps that they take it in San Francisco every single year. Everyone knows you walk miles from Moscone to all the hotels, to all the parties. So we said, you can still do that. Do it virtually with us with a 5K and get your steps in and do it in a fun way. You can do your own disco and, you know, silent disco in your house. You can take a walk around the block with your dog or with your kids. You know, if you are super athletic, go and do your an actual 5K, but, um, you know, did a lot of swag giveaways because we know people love that at Dreamforce and they were missing out. We did, you know, some social and some community types of photos and videos and pictures so that people felt like they were doing it with each, you know, walking with each other, et cetera. And that was a super, super fun campaign that we just did. That's great. I love that. What a great idea. I need to, I might need to participate because uh, I'm definitely not only missing my, 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 uh, my dream four steps, but just steps in general. <laughs> I think everyone is. And that was another thing is like, let's get over zoom fatigue and, you know, let's, let's take a break and just schedule a 30 minute break during your day. Cause I know we're always back to back, you know, 8am to 5pm zoom calls all day long. Just get outside get a breath of fresh air or do a little dance party in your living room. Uh, I think we're all needing some of that activity. <laughs> okay, let's get to our quick hits. These are quick questions and quick answers, just like conversational marketing with qualified.com. Qualified prospects are on your website right now, and you can talk to them quickly with qualified.com. Check them out. They're the best, and they're the presenting sponsor of this show from the beginning, from the first episode. We love them. Check them out. Quick hits. Esther, are you ready? Yes. Number one, you interviewed U.S. soccer team superstar Alex Morgan. What was your favorite part of the conversation? We actually talked a lot about women's equality in sports, but also how that translates to just everyday life and especially the business world. That was definitely my favorite topic of conversation because it's something I'm super passionate about is raising visibility of women in the tech world making sure that there are women in leadership, making sure voices are heard from the many women that have just amazing things to share. So that was something that was definitely my favorite, but that that was a huge, uh, that was one of my favorite moments of my entire career was was interviewing Alex Morgan. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a member of Women in Revenue and, uh, and we have, we've had a bunch of uh, folks from that org on the, on the show already, Tracy and Jen and a bunch of other folks. It's great, great org. Do you have a hobby that you picked up uh, in the past year? 
Yeah, I think the remote work and and especially at the lock at the height of the lockdowns when everyone was trying to figure out what do they do. I spent a lot of time with my kids and doing crafts and 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 trying to entertain them while they were trying to do online learning and I was working from home uh, at the same time. Uh, I had learned how to crochet back in college and again I would just crochet blankets during long lectures. Uh, it was just something to do, but I actually made two little crochet animals for my boys because <laughs> they asked for it. Um, I, I got like a book and it had all the materials and I just, I figured out how to do it. And I made my son a little, a little Yoda doll out of, out of yarn. That's adorable. Yeah, and it actually turned out, I was really surprised. <laughs> that's so great. Photo or didn't happen. Um, that's awesome. <laughs> Well, that's that's about it. That's that's all we have for today, Esther. It's been awesome having you on the show. Everybody, check out Conga. Tell your ops people uh, to check out Conga. Conga.com, brand new website. Give it a whirl. Any final thoughts? Anything to plug? No, if you're looking for other podcasts to check out, definitely check out Conga's podcast called Agents of Change. We are trying to make sure that people, all of our customers, as well as just anyone out there who wants to be a change agent in their business, really capitalizing on technology, um, new concepts, creativity and innovation, um, and want to be continue to be relevant in a rapidly changing world, uh, that's the podcast to check out. So I'd highly recommend it. Awesome. And we'll, we'll link that up in the show notes as well. Uh, check out Agents of, of Change. Esther, thanks again. You're the best. Yeah. Thank you so much, Ian. ManGen Visionaries is brought to you by our friends at Qualified.com, a conversational marketing company that's on a mission to transform the way B2B companies sell. Go to Qualified.com to learn more.